everyone, thank you for joining us for our latest episode of INC Radio. My name is Carl Birmage and I am joined by Uncle Joey himself, Clay. Clay, thank you very much for surviving episode one. You must be back for a bit more torture. Of course. I was a bit nervous the first time, but first time being on a podcast, it always takes me a bit to warm up to people, you know? I tell- yeah, I'm glad to be back here. I tell you what, I've been doing this for... This is probably what the fourth or fifth time that I've done a podcast episode and I have to say it is very nerve-wracking for me even now oh yeah definitely but we are back together the uh, best thing to happen to Anglo-Canadian relations since Prince Harry and Meghan Markle you could say that I never understood why people make such a big deal about that I mean it's it's a 33 year old man who's moving out of his grandma's house (laughs) Yeah, but when he looks at our, our currency, he's going to be reminded of his family. <laughs> the Queen's on our $20 bill. And I've seen the $20 bills that they have as well. She's got this proper snarl on the face. She looks really ticked off. Yeah, he's going to look at that and think he kind of messed up a little. <laughs> we could very easily delve into the world of politics, but I think most people uh, want to hear us talking about mixed martial arts. So... We are here for our first sort of recap episode, and I think we've chosen a really good one to cover as well. Not only did we have the UFC event taking place in Raleigh, but we also had probably one of the best Bellator cards for a long, long time, at least one of the most intriguing. Definitely, definitely. I think the Bellator card was better than the UFC card, in my opinion. I think there's a strong argument to make for that as well, and we'll be discussing that in a bit more detail. The other thing we're going to be discussing, though, is just some of the stories, some of the rumours, some of the intriguing concoctions that uh, Dana White and the UFC um, matchmakers have been coming up with over the past week. And one of them that's really taken my interest, and this is going to be our first major talking point, is the rumour that's been going around, which is that Henry Cejudo will be defending his bantamweight title for the first time. And his bantamweight is one of those top divisions in my opinion right now. You look at some of the big names at the top of that division, yet they've chosen to overlook a lot of them and book them against, reportedly, Jose Aldo for the main event of UFC 250. Yeah, see, I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I'm one of those people that like the clear number one contender to fight no matter what record they have. Like, Caitlin Chukagan, she's coming off of, like, just decision wins, but she has the right of way to, you know, fight for the title. But the Aldo fight, I don't know. I feel like maybe Marlon should have got that shot. I wouldn't have given maybe it to Marlon. I wouldn't have given it to Marlon since he was just coming off the loss to Cejudo. And I mean, it was a competitive fight. I enjoyed it, but I didn't see enough from Marlon in the Aldo fight to say run that fight back immediately. I think the big concern for me is this This is the continuation of a trend which I think started with Adesanya versus Joel Romero, which mm-hmm. is I feel like the UFC matchmakers are ignoring the rankings and just choosing fighters based off more than anything their marketability or their star power rather than meritocracy. I think with the, mi- I think with the middleweight division... Everybody thought, everybody knows Paulo Costa is number one for that title shot. But he's out of action. You have to look further down the queue. With Romero, yes, you have got one of the most dangerous fighters in that division. But you've also got a guy who has lost three out of his past four. 
very close fights, I have to admit. But in my opinion, you shouldn't you shouldn't reward fighters for losing, regardless of how it happens. Personally, I would have gone for Cannonier for that title shot. It's even worse though when it comes to Aldo because, as mentioned before, you've got Corey Sandhagen, Aljamain Sterling, Petty Yarn, three fantastic bantamweights, and three guys who I think could cause Cejudo a lot of problems. And yet to overlook those and give it to Jose Aldo, who, legend of the sport, but still a one-time bantamweight and lost his only fight at bantamweight, I just don't, it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, and you saw the the weight cut that he had to do for that fight. Like, you pretty much got lucky getting on that scale. Like, he looked horrible that week. I mean, credit where it's due. I thought, I thought we were going to get another TJ Dillashaw situation. I just thought the weight cut was going to be too much for him, and Marais was going to clean him out in what two minutes. He performed so much better than everyone expected. And I personally scored that fight for him. I thought he beat Marais. I'd have to go back and rewatch it to be honest. <laughs> but still, a loss is a loss, even if it's somebody like Jose yeah. Aldo, and even if you perform fantastic in that fight. Again, I wouldn't want to see somebody coming off a loss and getting a title shot. The only people who should are sort of long reigning champions getting immediate rematches. Yeah, like something like Stipe. Steepa DC or Ioana versus Rose, just some of the examples off the top of mm. my head. The big reason, in my opinion, why I feel like they're booking Aldo for this fight, it's not so much a merit thing, it's all about marketing. Because UFC 250 is going to be the Brazil card. And there was once upon a time where Brazil was this real hotbed of MMA. You had Anderson, Machida, Belfort, the Nogueira brothers... And even though there are good Brazilian fighters out there, none of them have got that same sort of mainstream appeal as the old guard did. The only guy that comes close is Aldo. Because Aldo headlined a couple of Brazil cards before, I think I think the first Chad Mendes fight was down there. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to capitalise on that. But when you're making these sort of booking decisions, especially title fights around business, it just doesn't sit well with me. I think the worst part for me as well is, as I mentioned before, we've got good Brazilian fighters out there. What if you are one of those good Brazilians? What if you're someone like, say, say Nunes, for example? You're the only Brazilian champion in the UFC. All logic says that you should defend your title in front of your home crowd. Yet the UFC have such distrust in your marketability or your drawing power that they see Jose Aldo, somebody who's arguably in the twilight of his career, as a better business decision. It must be a bit of a kick in the teeth. Yeah, I remember um, Nunes, I think it was like two years ago or whatever, when she pulled out of that International Fight Week card. Dana was like pretty much just reeling right into her, like said that she would never headline a card again, but it's gotten better, you know? I feel like her marketability has gotten a lot better. Like the Cyborg fight, I feel like that was the definitive turning point where she was known as just not the girl that defeated Ronda Rousey anymore. She was pretty much a superstar, the greatest of all time. So I feel like she could fight on that card, but who would really fight her at this point? Who's the contender in that division? I've said for a long time I think it should be Irene Aldana. 
Oh yeah, that could work. I feel like she needs maybe one more fight, and then we could see. Going back to Aldo though, another big issue I have with this title fight, it's not so much Aldo himself, it's Henry Cejudo. Because Henry Cejudo has developed this sort of king of cringe character and your mileage varies on whether you like it or dislike it, but it's getting people talking about it. Could you imagine how bad that character could be if he beat Jose Aldo? Oh yeah, I could I could see him sort of he seems sort of like a a reverse Josh Koscheck, like not insulting but more cringy, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I can see where you're coming from. I mean, I was never a big Koscheck fan anyway, but um no, I think Koscheck was the original Colby Covington, except his shtick was real. It wasn't uh, it wasn't an act. At this point, I feel like maybe they should set up Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yon. And then I think the winner of that should fight. And I think Aldo should get maybe one more fight. I don't know why they're overlooking Petty Yan. I mean, we've got this aggressive Russian fighter. He's, I wouldn't say he's much of a trash talker, but compared to how he was when he first came into the UFC, his English is a lot better. I think people would really be down for Cejudo versus Yan. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a great fight. I mean, you saw the way that he destroyed Faber. Yes. When was the last time Faber got stopped like that? Like, I think his last stoppage was... I think it was Barrow. Barrow UFC 169. Oh, wow. Okay. And we touched on it there as well. Another thing that's been coming out... It's great that we got, um, we're pre-recording this so we can just cut out all of the uh, awkward gaps. Another big story which has come out, which is the fight card for UFC Columbus has also been announced. Now, most people know this one for the main event, Francis Ngannou and Jarzinho Rosenstrike, which, what a fight that could be. Yeah, Rosenstrike, I remember uh, the first time I ever saw that Rosenstrike, it was in uh, Ryzen. And his fight, it wasn't even that crazy, you know, it was just a decision. So when he came into the UFC, I, I didn't think he'd be that big of a deal, but something happened in his transition where he just became a complete powerhouse and taking out everybody he sees. The amazing... like in, the, in the Ryzen fight, I thought he wouldn't get signed because a lot of times he would get taken down a lot and he would just use brute strength to get back up. Like He was able to get back up, but a lot of times you could hear him literally like grunting at the top of his lungs to get back up to his feet. So in the Overeem fight, I thought Overeem was going to win. I thought he was going to take him down and just just ground and pound him the whole time. But no, he's gotten a lot better. Much better. I thought the same thing when I saw his debut when he fought um, Albini. Because Junior yeah. Albini's never been all that much of a grappler, but he dominated the first round of that fight. And I just thought, he's another guy who's just been blitzing through the regional scene. He's not really going to offer anything when he gets to the big show. And as you mentioned before, he's just had this fantastic run where he's avoided the takedowns and he's just blitzing people and blitzing some big names as well. Definitely. But I feel like that Rosenstrike versus uh, Overeem fight, I think that, I didn't think that should have been stopped, but who knows? I'm not the referee. Tell you what though, going from Overeem to Francis is a massive jump. 
He's definitely got balls, though. He's the only real heavyweight that's calling him out. He wants to fight. I think he's a bit more technical than Francis. I think Francis sometimes does rely on, on just his brute power to get by. So I, I think if Strike is able to turn this into maybe sort of more of a kickboxing match, and, and we saw with Francis, when Francis has to chase a fight, like he did against Stipe, and the wild swings start, he can gas himself out like that. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, that's one thing you should do. I don't know if you've done that YouTube video yet. You should do uh, Patient Francis. Oh, I've already done that. Humbled and gone I've done that. <laughs> but some of the fights that we've got on the Columbus card as well, I'm just looking through the fight card here. Some very interesting names. I mean, you've got uh, Cody Garbrandt's going to be back in action. He's going to be fighting at Sun Tso, So no threat of any quick knockout there from Garbrandt. We should hopefully see him return to form. Aspen Ladd fighting Juliana Pena. That's basically a number one contender match. Matt Brown's going to be back in action in that one. Um, from my own personal really? perspective, yeah, Matt Brown is fighting Miguel Baeza. Oh, okay. I did not even know that. <laughs> I, always, I didn't even know that Matt Brown was still fighting, to be honest. Yeah, he fought uh, Ben Saunders on the prelims of 245. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now I know that. And I don't know how much to make of that because, for me, Ben Saunders is shot. I think he's been shot yeah, for a long time. I can't even believe that Ben Saunders is even still in the UFC, to be honest. I think sometimes they keep around the, the longer-term guys. I think there is a lot of company loyalty so if you are one of those guys who's maybe fought mm-hmm. since say 2010 2011 the ufc will just keep you around as even as just somebody to for a youngster to build their name off well that makes sense why um pen and Burrell was still around for so long like he just got cut recently he went on like a something like five fight losing streak that was so sad to me. so sad to watch what happened to Burrell because people forget Henan Burrell in his prime was a vicious, vicious fighter. And oh, yeah, there was many times Dana White said that he was pretty much pound for pound the best. Dana says that every fighter is pound for pound the best. Oh yeah, at one point he said Anthony Pettis was the best in lightweight. <laughs> Personally, I've always, I've always favoured Penn. I think Penn for me is the best lightweight of all time. And everyone's going to say, what about Khabib, what about Benson, what about Frankie? The GOAT argument in that division is the most competitive, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But personally, I've always favoured Penn. Um, some of the other guys on the card, Greg Hardy's going to be on there. He's fighting the guy who uh, knocked out Justin Taffer at 243, Jorgen de Castro. Yeah, I believe Jorgen de Castro, the guy that he knocked out, he's actually um, co-co-maining the, um, the next pay-per-view. Which is surprising considering Lewis versus Alir Latifi is lower in the card on that. I don't get why they really put him in the co-co main event on there. I think the UFC like to have sort of a big blockbuster fight to kick off the main card. So like, hey, you're on pay-per-view now. This is the sort of exciting action that you can expect. And then they usually like to have like a lesser fight before the important stuff. Normally, they usually put like the straw weights on. You have to sort of like have two unranked straw weights. But mm-hmm. recently, they started doing it with heavyweights because they did it with the Connor card with Linux versus Maurice Green. 
Oh yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. That was a decent fight. And Which I, fight was that? Um, Alexia Linick and Maurice Green. I thought some of the grappling oh, yeah. in that fight was quite fun for the heavyweights. Yeah, it's great to see Olenek back in the winning category. Yes. I love guys like Olenek who are just so, have a fighting style which is unique. I think, obviously, we're now into the real realm of mixed martial arts and in inverted commas. And you don't really get that many specialists. So when you do, sort of like a Damian Meyer or a Wonderboy or a Leninic, you sit up and you take note. Mm-hmm. How do you explain uh, the, um, which fight was that? Uh, trying to think. Oh, Linux last fight with, who was that? He was supposed to fight at O-Rain. Um, man, I can't believe I'm blanking out on his name right now. He was going to fight Walt Harris. Yeah, Walt Harris. Walt well, Harris. well, Walt's a guy who was in so much confidence. I mean, he was starting to re... I mean, I saw some of Walt Harris's early UFC fights and he did look like a fish out of water. But I think he's, they, they dropped him down the ladder a little bit, had him build his confidence, had him get a few big wins, and then he caught a Linick who is traditionally a slow starter off guard and got the job done. Well, I remember when they set up um, Walt Harris versus uh, Verdum. Do you remember that? Yes, that was, I think Derek <laughs> Lewis pulled out of that fight. He was supposed to fight Verdum. Walt yeah, Harris was on the undercard. Like just two twenty-two or something. It was a while ago, like a couple years ago. But he, I remember he came out on Twitter saying, uh, "Do you get an award for uh, best participation?" <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, the guy who has to fight Walt Harris next is—it's going to be hard for him. Obviously, there were all the, the there was all the stuff with his uh, stepdaughter, which. We're not going to go into that. Obviously, it's quite tragic. But the guy who fights him, that's going to be a real hard ask because you have to be competitive. You're obviously in this sport where you can't really, you can't really just give somebody a win. But it'd be hard to sort of beat the guy after everything he's been through. Definitely, I feel like the winner of Lear Latifi versus Lewis should fight him. I was thinking, I, like... I was thinking JDS. Oh yeah, that could work. That, that could, could work. definitely work. Depends on what happens with the Lirla TV versus Lewis fight, but JDS is a great option. We have already mentioned Junior Dos Santos. We'll be talking about him in a lot more detail now because obviously this is a recap show. We did want to try and do this on the Sunday afterwards, but obviously time restrictions. We've got we're all on the other side of the world for each of us. We didn't have the opportunity to do so. We finally managed to get this recorded on Wednesday. We are going to be talking about the fight night which took place in Raleigh, North Carolina. I have to say, considering what they were up against, obviously they had the Bellator card which was taking place at the same time. I think the UFC could have done a lot more with this show. It was very middle of the road for a fight night in my opinion. I feel like maybe they should have had... Um another replacement for Corey Sandhagen. I feel like Sandhagen versus Peter Young, I feel like that would have been a great fight on this card. A great co-main. I would have I would have shied away from Peter Young simply because I think Peter Young deserves to have the fight against Cejudo, which if you watch one of the previous videos we discuss in a bit more detail. I was disappointed to see Sandhagen versus Frankie Felfro because I think that could have been a really good fight. 
I'm intrigued to see what Frankie could have done at bantamweight. And I think he'll still mm. give it a go. I think he'll still give it a go at some point. But a 37-year-old Frankie Edgar, you, he's running out of time. Yeah, well, what they were planning to do is after Edgar fought Korean Zombie, they were just going to bring him right over to Raleigh. Like, nothing happened. But clearly, you can't plan ahead in MMA. It's not something you can do like that. What we will talk about is that main event. Kurt Splits took on Junior Dos Santos. Now, I always run polls on the community tab on the YouTube page and ask people for who they think is going to win the main event. I was surprised to see JDS top that poll. I think it was like 52% 48 for Kurt Splits. I thought that Kurt Splits was going to be a stronger wrestler. He was just going to take JDS down, wear him out, and maybe get a ground and pound stoppage. And while we were right that Kurt Splits did win by stoppage, I don't think mm. anybody expected him to do so by outstriking JDS. Definitely. That type of fight, the way that he was fighting, you only really see that in uh, in Askren versus Maya, like two grapplers that don't want to go at it on the ground. But Blades, I guess he realized there was no way he was going to get Junior to the ground, so he switched up his game plan and it worked. I mean, I mean, credit JDS. I mean, some of his takedown defense was very good in that fight. But what it did do was it made JDS scared of the takedown. And because he was so focused on avoiding those shots, Blitz could just come in with a big overhand, rocked him, and job was done early in the second round. I think Curtis Blitz has always been, he's a fantastic wrestler, but he's only ever been a wrestler. Now he's got mm. the confidence in his hands. He's gonna be a real. He's gonna be. He's gonna be a tricky opponent for any heavyweight going forward. And the guy's only twenty eight. He's a baby by heavyweight standards. Yeah, but my question is, what do you do with him now? <laughs> Who do you put him up against? That's the big issue. It's because the UFC made a big mistake, in my opinion, booking that second Francis versus Blades fight. Because now the Francis has two in a row, Curtis can never jump the queue. Because mm -hmm. Francis will always get, in my opinion, if Francis gets past Royce and Strike, and we don't know if he will yet, if he gets past Royce and Strike, he's going to be getting the next shot against the steep air DC winner. And then yeah, Curtis. There's no way you can deny him after that point. And if Francis was to win that title. You're not really going to do him versus Curtis three unless Curtis wins five or six in a row. Mm -hmm. I'd possibly go him versus Volkov. I'm very high on Volkov, and I think that could be an interesting fight. Yeah, I could see that being made. That's a great fight. Because I remember when Volkov fought Verdum, and yeah, he got taken down a couple of times, but Verdum couldn't do anything with him when he was on the ground. And eventually Verdum just started gassing out, Volkov took control, and that pretty much made him. I think Volkov was what eight or ninth in the world, beat the world number three. Bob's yeah, and he also he just beat Greg Hardy as well. Greg Hardy's like first loss. Uh, first real well, loss. I first mean, first real loss other than the the, <laughs> the Alan Crowder nonsense. I can't think of any other guy who's had so much controversy in such a short space of time than Greg Hardy. Oh yeah, if you go on MMA Twitter when he's fighting, it's. It's awful. Everybody hates him. Everybody wants to see him get knocked out. Another guy that really impressed me on the main card was 
in the co-main, Michael Chiesa took on Rafael Dos Anjos, and first and foremost, what the hell was Michael Chiesa playing at staying a lightweight for such a long time? The guy looked massive even for a welterweight. Mm. And I think it was a good performance from him. Neutralised him on the ground. I think there's still a lot of issues with Chiesa striking. And I think if he was to fight somebody in the top five, I think he would get exposed. But credit-wise, mm. Joey got the job done. And I think him calling out Colby Covington, very smart move in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think Colby. I don't know if he'll take that fight, but I want that fight. <laughs> I think that would be a great fight. And I think it'd be interesting as well. I mean, Colby will go very grappling heavy because I think the issue with Colby is yes, Colby does have striking, but I don't think he has power. And I think that was very evident when he fought um, Usman. Mm-hmm. I think Usman realized quite early on this guy doesn't have anything for me anything for me in the stand up. I'm just going to keep it here. And eventually those big shots started wearing Colby down. It was a hell of a fight. Definitely. I don't think anybody expected that to be the way it handled out. Like, everybody expected there would be some type of ground game in that. But they just pulled uh, Maya versus Asker and they just went striking. I mean, it was a hell of a lot better than Maya versus Asker in my chair. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> what other things stood out for you on the, um, on the undercard? Uh, the undercard, like the prelims we're talking about? Yeah, like the prelims are like some of the main card fights outside the main and the core main. I feel like the Angela Hill fight, that stood out. I feel like she did really well in that fight. Like I can't even remember the last time Angela Hill got a, a stoppage win. It was actually the fight before that. She fought uh, Carnalosi on the... I'm tempted to say it was a Mexico card. Uh, she was fighting this young Brazilian girl making a debut and... I mean... Did some real damage yeah, in the clinch. I believe that was the um, the Yar Rodriguez versus Stevens fight, the one with the eye poke. I think that was that. that was it was that one, one yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she caused some real damage in the clinch, and eventually the doctor had to jump in and called it because of stoppage. Angela Hill sort of one of my sort of one of my dark horses on the card. I mean, she fights pretty much every single week, but if I see that Angela Hill is going to be on a card, I think you know what I could I could be entertained by this one. I mean, she's not a great fighter by any means, but compared to other unranked strawweights, she's one of the better ones. Yeah, I wouldn't say she's boring. I don't think she's boring at all. And I mean, she's always game. The one that sticks out for me, I think she fought Jessica Vandraj on, I think it was on like two weeks' notice. And Mm. yeah, Vandraj won the fight. It was a comfortable decision, but she was so game in that fight. I think she dropped Vandraj at one point. Uh, Yeah, she did. She did. And it's a, sh- it's a shame as well for Hannah Cyphers because she's one of those... She's she's another one which is really scrappy. I do enjoy watching her fight. But she's so, she's so hampered by her size. She's an atom weight fighting a straw weight. Yeah, while well, I was watching that fight, Hannah looked absolutely terrified. Like, I've never seen that from a fighter. She looked terrified to be in there. Like, she looked scared. If you look at her face during a couple of exchanges, she she looked kind of like uncomfortable in there. I think she's quite a naturally awkward person. I think she's she's somebody who doesn't really enjoy the spotlight. I mean, get her in mm-hmm. there and have her fighting, she's no problem. But you talk to her in like the press conferences, anything like that, you could tell it's just, it's not her thing. Mm-hmm. I think she's only something like five foot one. Uh, let me check actually. 
I think we'll, we should we should get some sort of like elevator music or something playing in the background here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 1.5 uh, meters. How much is that? <laughs> I don't know my conversions. 1.5 meters to inches or feet. Uh, five foot, five point zero eight. <laughs> I mean, that's I tiny. I mean, yeah, she's pretty small. I'm trying to think. I think Danielle Taylor is the only straw weight who's smaller than her. Mm -hmm. The fight that stood out for me. I think you might not have watched this one. I watched this on uh, Fight Pass before the actual main stuff started. If you get the chance, watch Brett Johns versus Tony Gravely. I mean, Tony Gravely was making his UFC debut. I think he looked okay. This was basically a grappling match, so a wrestling match between him and Johns. Very back and forth, very end-to-end, -end, and Brett Johns, a guy who I think is very underrated in that division, getting the job done. He's had a lot of injury problems. He took a bit of a break from the sport. And if you look at the guys he's fought in the past, his only losses are... Munoz and Sterling, I believe. Pedro Munoz and Aljamain Sterling. No shame in losing to those two guys. Mm -hmm. Definitely top 10. Top 5. So I do hope that he can get... His issue, in my opinion, was he got that... He got that submission against Joe Soto. I think it's only the second ever calf slice from the UFC. And the UFC just thought, hey, we've got this great submission expert here. He's going to blitz through everyone. And they put him against... Big name guys far too early in his career, in my opinion. Yeah, well, he's never really been. He's never really gotten like starch. He's only really coming off of uh, two decision losses. But to Sterling and Munoz, you can't really complain about that, you know. I five guys. I think the issue he had was that the UFC realized that Bisping was going to be retiring soon, and they were looking for anybody to push as the next British star. I mean, Till got that push and he ran with it. They tried to do the same thing with Brett Johns, and I don't think he was ready for it. Mm -hmm. Where do you see him going next? Who do you think he fight? He should fight next. I'm trying to think. I think he's worthy of someone in the lower reaches of the top fifteen. Mm -hmm. I just don't know who would it be right off the top of my head. Yeah, I'd have to look at the, the rankings. Well, they've actually changed the rankings recently because they've moved the pound-for-pound, pound, so it's a pound-for-pound pound men and pound-for-pound pound women. Which, oh, yes, really? Yeah, it sounds good in theory, but the issue is now we've got two sets of discussions which is just everybody's going to be kicking off about instead of just one. Yeah, I wonder how would they really set up the pound for pound would it be like I'm trying to think would Joanna would have to be on there obviously and uh I think it's just I think it's just a hypothetical thing it's just yeah people making their insinuation of if these people were all the same weight same size who would win in a fight it's I've never liked the idea of the pound for pound rankings I think it's mm -mm. yeah some people treat it as a bit of fun but again it's just it's needless arguing for the sake of it it's like saying who would win Ali or Tyson. It's like, yeah, it's never going to happen. <laughs> it's fun to think about it, but it's never going to happen. Yeah, you'd have to play Fight Night Champion in order to do that. <laughs> yeah. 
The UFC card in Raleigh though wasn't the only event which took place over the weekend. Bellator also had their own event taking place. Now, we don't normally talk about Bellator in much detail when it comes to these shows. We did, however, when we looked at this card, because I don't know about you, I thought that this Bellator card was just as good, even, dare I say, even better than what the UFC were offering. Yeah, I, in my opinion, I think I think it was a better card. I think uh, it had a, a bit more better performances. Of course, he had a, a submission from Brett Johns, he had the um, Herbert Burns fight, but on the main card, you only really had the Junior Dos Santos stoppage. You didn't really have Kiesa choking out RDA or anything like that. But you look on Bellator, you got Darian Caldwell ending Boric's undefeated streak in only a round. You also had uh, Sergio Pettis coming off with pretty much a double finish. He pretty much knocked the guy out and he choked him out. Terrible referee stoppage of that fight. And you also got the Raymond Daniels fight. You know? I, I, I think I'm right. Like it's just a better main card. I think I'm right in saying that the referee in the Sergio Pettis fight was Frank Trigg. Yeah, it was Frank Trigg. Yeah, I wouldn't want to criticize Frank Trigg for his referee, considering what he's done in the past. Oh yeah, and he's a rising commentator too. I think the big thing about Bellator for me as well is, I mean, no offense to. No offense to what the UFC were offering, I just felt more invested in this card because I would personally think that Cyborg versus Bud was a more intriguing main event than on paper than what JDS versus Blade was, and also Caldwell versus Borovich. I I was more interested in that with the whole mm. implications of the featherweight tournament. And also you have the Pettis's debut and Melender's uh, debut. And Aaron Pico fighting on the prelims as well. Mm -hmm. What a Great knockout that was. <sighs> yeah, he didn't even hit him like full on. It was just his forearm. And he managed to get him out of there. Insane stuff. And I mean, I, I've heard a lot of people criticise Bellator for booking him against Daniel Kirby, who was, dare I say, a lesser opponent. But those are the type of guys that Pico should be fighting. Because, I mean, his, US, his Bellator debut, his professional debut... He's going up against an 8-2 guy who has fantastic submissions, who finishes him in under a minute. And then he's fighting former title challenges, he's fighting highly rated prospects. They pushed him far too quickly for his own good, so it's good on Bellator for him to take a step backwards and to develop and evolve as a fighter. Yeah, he pretty much got the opposite of MVP. MVP's been going through lesser ranked guys pretty much almost every two months he's been fighting but you got Aaron Pico they're putting him up against title challengers pretty much top guys in Bellator so it's kind of strange how they set up Aaron Pico when he signed I mean the guys he has been beaten have been very good guys I mean uh, Leandro Higo former title challenger very good win I don't know Leandro <laughs> I don't know many Bellator fighters but I know the top guys, like MVP, of course, Douglas Lima, of course, but you bring up somebody like that, I'm going to have to do some research. <laughs> no need to research, though, our main event, Chris Cyborg versus Julia Budd. Cyborg, of course, making her Bellator debut and also making history. She's the first female to win mm -hmm. titles in four major promotions, Strike Force, the UFC, Invicta, and now Bellator. 
But my question is, what do you do with her now? Who do you put her up against? I personally think that I can see them booking her versus Katzingano. I think they're going to ride that sort of star power that the two have. Um, Kat, of course, she has the whole... I mean, she was a former UFC title challenger, last person to beat Nunes, so there's going to be that sort of idea that the UFC can link into. I was, I was both impressed and concerned when I saw Chris perform in that fight because, on the one hand, it was the first time I ever realised how well she works the body. And her strike mm -hmm. accuracy was fantastic, something like 72-73%, which when you consider she gets a reputation for being a bit of a wild brawler, we're starting to see a more, a more thoughtful, a more tactical Chris. But she's not the same fighter she was five or six years ago. I think father time is starting to take its toll. She's had a long combat career, not just MMA, but she's also done Muay Thai, kickboxing as well. And we're starting to maybe see that. I think the Chris of maybe, as again, when she was in Strike Force or in Victor, I think would have made easier work of Julia Budd. But then again, Julia's a strong girl. I mean, you, you saw the stare down between the two. She looked bigger than Chris. Yeah, I think I think she was bigger in that fight. I think she, uh, she, well, they're the same height, but you could see she definitely had a bit more weight to her. I mean, her yeah. shoulders were huge. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised she didn't do any real shoulder strikes in that fight. Uh, everybody's doing shoulder strikes these days, aren't they? <laughs> That's the worst thing about Conor McGregor. When Conor does something, people think he's your first one to do it. I mean, Tito Ortiz was doing that sort of thing back in, what, UFC 29? Well, yeah, I think John Jones was doing that as well. You could see in, the, um, in his Rampage fight, he was doing a couple shoulder strikes too, but they were... He had a lot more power into them. Like, he was pulling back a lot more than Connor was. Connor was just, he was pretty much smacking them in the face at point blank range. How highly can we rate Julia Budd's performance? It's always a tricky question when it comes to fighting Chris because more often than not Chris is likely going to win the fight and can you can you say that Julia had a good performance? Was there anything there that made you think, hey, she did that impressively? If she maybe did this differently, things could have turned out a little bit better? Well, I feel like the fact that she made it all the way to the fourth round, pretty good. Like, when was the last time Nunes, or not Nunes, when was the last time Cyborg made it to the fourth round, you know? Uh, it, was, it was against, well, it was the Holly Holm fight, and before that it was Coonan. When was that? Was that Invicta? That was in Invicta. They fought twice. Um, she got she made it to the third round in Strike Force and the fourth round in Invicta. Okay, I have to watch that fight. I don't think I've seen that. Now there, there's a fighter that deserves a lot more praise, Marlis Coonan. Mm -hmm. Proper pioneer of the sport. The most frustrating thing about me when I saw the performance from Chris, though, is that, yes, Chris was a bit more thoughtful in her attacks. She was targeting the body. She wasn't being wild it just makes you think why didn't she fight like that against Nunes the, I mean I feel I, like in the Nunes fight she probably had that invincibility she thought that there was no way she would ever lose so but, she just went forward and just threw as much as she could and then Nunes had the better technicality and knocked her out my argument against that though is she fought quite cautiously against Tonya Evanger 
and Holly mm. Holm. I think the Holly Holm fight, from a cyborg perspective, very intelligent technical fight. Mm. I mean, I still think that Nunes would have won that fight, even if Cyborg fought a bit more cautiously. But it yeah, would have been a lot like more Nunes has a bit more technicality in her movement compared to Cyborg. You don't really see Nunes like flying straight haymakers twenty four seven like Cyborg is doing in the first round. She has a bit more cautiousness, and she likes to be more technical. I actually think as much as big as that fight would have been for the UFC, I think Chris has made the right decision because there's still going to be a lot of people thinking, what if that fight happened again? Mm-hmm. But by, dare I say, I don't know whether or not Chris orchestrated her departure or whether the UFC were wanting to get shot of her, but her going to Bellator I think is a good thing because you've got people who are going to be clamouring for that rematch and still thinking that she would win if she fought a bit differently. She's working with Scott Corker, who I think she has a better working relationship with. Oh yeah, Corker loves her. Calls her the goat. I think he has a good right to. I think that that trilogy of Nunes, Cyborg and Ronda, I think each of them have a real strong claim to that title. And I think it's probably something we'll discuss in another video further down the road. But with Nunes, you've got the quality of the wins. With Chris, you've got the dominance over a long time period. And with Ronda, you've got the importance to women's MMA. Because without Ronda, Nunes is headlining in Victor Cart. Yeah, I feel like Ronda is maybe the greatest star woman athlete because she was pretty much everywhere. She was doing like Fast and Furious movies. But in terms of performances, I feel like Cyborg is the greatest of all time she was just so dominant elsewhere Ooh. down on that Bellator card you sort of touched on it before the guy that really stood out for me it wasn't so much Chris it wasn't so much uh, Raymond Daniels Sergio Pettis I mean Sergio Pettis got a lot of grief when he fought in the UFC for just being a decision bot every fight he was going to have was just going to go to a decision he would likely win but it wouldn't be entertaining so he moves up to bantamweight and yes, his opponent maybe wasn't the highest level fighter. But first round knockout, he looked fantastic. Yeah, it was actually incredible. Like, Pettis' last uh, finish, I think it was 2011? Like, wow, I don't even think I was watching MMA back then. Do you think that was... Do you think that was the increase in weight which did that? Do you think it was the fact he was fighting somebody who maybe, dare I say, wasn't top level? I mean, um, I can't pronounce, I can't pronounce the guy's last name, but Alfred, Alfred's his first name. He is a Glendale fighter, and we all know the connotations with Glendale. Yeah, isn't Alfred uh, training with Edmund? I saw mm-hmm. Edmund at the end, <laughs> at the yeah. end of that fight. <laughs> it was so surreal, you know, at times watching that Bellator, because I don't watch that much Bellator, but... You said it on Twitter. It's like a bizarre world where the UFC doesn't exist. And you've got yeah, all these they, people... Whenever they talk about Cyborg, they act like Nunes just doesn't even exist. It's like you see these people, these media personalities, these referees, who are so synonymous with being in the UFC, and it's still so jarring. It's sort of like, well, 
Mike Goldberg, what are you doing in commentary? Why is Edmund there? Why is Mel Beltran refereeing the main event? You're UFC guys, and I know it doesn't work like that, but it's it was quite jarring, especially when you have like Big John and Mike Goldberg on the broadcast team. I think I think Big John should not be in commentary, in my opinion. I, I don't think he's very good at commentary. I feel like they should have put um, Jimmy Smith in there with uh, Jimmy Mike Smith's Goldberg. fantastic. Jimmy Smith and Mike yeah. Goldberg would be a perfect partnership. But I think mm-hmm. Jimmy, he burns a lot of bridges with Bellator to try and get the UFC gig. Yeah, and that didn't really work out for him. But I follow his podcast. He's a very intelligent bloke. What's his podcast? Um, it's uh, He does it with Ryan Moody. It's it's our MMA show. Our MMA show with Jimmy Smith and Ryan Moody. Although the two do sound exactly the same. So it is a bit <laughs> tricky in that regard. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up uh, our sort of discussion on Bellator? Uh, let me just look through the card here. What about, did you see the uh, Raymond Daniels fight? Fight in inverted commas. I mean, J- I mean, I mean, Jason King didn't really offer yeah. much in terms of a quality competition. I think Daniels is very similar in the sort of MVP sort of situation. He's going to do the flashy kicks. He's going to do all the spinning stuff, but... Could you really see that working if he was to fight an elite opponent? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know what they should do with Daniels. I don't think they should set up an MVP fight. Not for a while. I feel like maybe they should build up Daniels a bit more, but I don't really know what you should do with him, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's a big issue where you have, dare I say, sort of a stunt casting in the way that Daniels is. Mm-hmm. Is that you sort of have to keep feeding him cans, but the issue that Raymond Daniels has is the guy's 38. He's not going to get any better. He's always going to be he's always going to be just a straight and up kickboxer. He's not going to suddenly be throwing all these submissions. Oh, and another big thing that we need to talk about as well, Dan- Darian Caldwell. Coleman oh, yeah. event. An absolutely one-sided performance against Adam Boric. And a lot of people were starting to get on the Boric hype train. I mean, he saw what he did to Aaron Pico with that big flying knee and just thought, hey, this could be the guy to sort of slow down the Caldwell hype. But Damien made it look easy. Yeah, he took him out in the first round. I remember uh, before that fight happened, I literally tweeted out, Adam Borix, please beat the brakes off of Darian Caldwell. And that literally didn't age well at all. <laughs> I felt pretty embarrassed after that one. I did fear that that could happen, though because mm-hmm. as good as Boric's sort of flying knee and the spectacular knockouts have been, I do think about the Pico fight, and Pico was taking him down at will. And I thought, if Adam Pico's doing this to, da- to Boric, what's Davy Caldwell going to do? Mm-hmm. It does set up, though, a fight with AJ McKee, and I think Caldwell versus McKee could be a real barn burner. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how that goes. I wonder I wonder what game plan Caldwell's going to go in with. I wonder if he's just going to go straight for the takedown. He probably should, in my opinion. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I would, fa- I would favor Caldwell early on. I think Caldwell's wrestling mm-hmm. is... I think that could be too much for McKay, but Caldwell does gas. And if Caldwell doesn't get it done in the first round, he tires very, very quickly. And that's where yeah, I think you could see could... that in the uh, Horiguchi um, rematch. You could see Horiguchi 
sort of ran away with it at the end. Tell you what, we didn't do bad for somebody who doesn't really watch Bellator all that much, did we? No. <laughs> of course, UFC 247 is going to be just around the corner as well. Um, this has been a card which has really been hurt by injuries. It's just been announced that um, Jimmy Rivera was supposed to fight Marlon Viva. Rivera had to pull out of that. And based on the tweets we've been reading from Marlon Viva, he's going to be rescheduled for April. So that fight's off the card. Um, it's disappointing to see how many injuries we're starting to get in recent weeks. We've lost a lot of big fights because OSP versus Ryan Spann was supposed to be on there as well. Yeah. And that got postponed. Makes me worried for the Khabib versus Tony fight. These are all just sacrifices for that, or if we're going to get that cancelled as well. But there are a lot. Knows? There are a lot of people saying that you know, every sort of injury, every sort of pullout. Everybody's saying. It's a sacrifice for Tony versus Khabib. I mean, Paige Van Zandt, she's injured again as well. She was supposed to fight Amanda Hebas. Uh, she's had to pull out of that fight. Yeah, and Rachel Ostovich, uh, she was supposed to fight as well. And that fight got scrapped too. But nobody really knows why. Like, Ostovich came out on Twitter saying, I don't get why I'm not fighting in this. So maybe it's a USADA issue. I don't know. I can't... I, it would surprise me if it's USADA. Mm -hmm. Rachel doesn't seem like she would be somebody who uses steroids. Although we do get the return of Zombie Girl Priscilla. So yay mm -hmm. to that. You can hint the sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> no, Priscilla, in all seriousness, she's one of those fighters that I sort of have a real sympathy for, simply because of what happened against Shevchenko. And you sort of oh, you, yeah. you sort of want her to win just as a just a sort of like a, an apology. Yeah, well, I wonder if that fight never happened, if Mario Yamasaki would still be in the UFC. Or would he? I think he would have done even more damage if that fight didn't happen. I feel like something else worse could have happened. Sort of similar to what happened with Pico and um, Alfred. I feel like something like that would have happened. Because that was a bad stoppage. I mean, I've, I've followed the idea of Frank Trick going into refereeing and... I know he was one of uh, Big John's students, so it is disappointing to see that he sort of let himself down by letting that go on far too long, but we've seen that in from much better referees. I mean, Herb Dean, he's had some shockingly late stoppages. And he's had some early stoppages as well, like the, the Ronda fight. I feel like he had a little bit of bias into that fight. It could have gone a little bit longer, but she was getting destroyed in that fight, you know? <laughs> I think, I think, and I think there's a lot of referees that do this. I think maybe they're a bit squeamish about the idea of women competing, and they maybe mm -hmm. do stop it a little bit earlier than what they maybe should. Because the one that sticks in my mind, I think it was Herb Dean as well. I think he was the one who stopped um, uh, Jermaine versus Aspen Ladd. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, there was a lot of controversy about that one. A lot of people thought he had a, a big bias against women after that fight. I, I wouldn't say it was a bias. I think it's just it's just natural instinct. I mean, nobody likes to see a woman get yeah. hurt. Yeah. Um, in terms of UFC 247, we're going to be discussing this in a lot more detail when me and Tim record the full preview show. You can find the uh, clips for that one on YouTube as soon as we get that done. Won't be touching into like going into major specifics, but where do you stand overall on that card? 
I think it's a I think it's a pretty good card in my opinion. You got Derek Lewis on there. You got Valentina in the co-main, perfect. And you got John Jones in the main event against undefeated Reyes. I think it's a great card. And a John it's Jones a... and a John Jones as well who maybe isn't the fighter that he was. Going up against mm-hmm. a guy who a lot of people have said even since he came into the UFC could be the one. Yes. I've heard some people compare it, and I don't know whether this is just people wanting this to happen, and they're sort of trying to paint a, a scenario. It reminds me a little bit of Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman. Weidman mm-hmm. had a similar sort of buzz around him that this guy could be the one, going up against a champion who maybe isn't the guy that he once was. But then again, we thought the same thing when John fought Glover. Everyone just thought Glover was just going to knock his head off, and... John put in one of his most dominant performances. Mm-hmm. Do you what? think it will be um, similar to the um, which fight was that? Um, Jones's last fight against um, Tiago Santos. Yeah. Do you think it will be similar to that without the light breaks, of course? Well, I think Tiago showed a template on how to beat John Jones. And I yeah. think Dominic Riasi does like to throw a lot of kicks, so I think he's going to try and utilize that sort of strategy. But a lot of John Jones' recent performances have depended on how much he, how much he views his opponent as a threat. So when he's fighting, yeah, like in the um, in the Smith fight, he pretty much was not in trouble at all. Like he pretty much put a clinic on Smith. When John respects his opponent, he goes back to the old John who is a dominant fight. We saw that against Gus, we saw that against DC. But if he doesn't respect his opponent, like Anthony Smith, like Thiago Santos, he's he's content to stay in third gear as long as it gets him the job done. And it very nearly cost him against Santos. Yeah, that, I think that was the closest we've seen him losing since the uh, Gustafson, the first fight they had. Yeah. On that first Gus fight, one of my favourite fights of all time. Oh yeah, I wish I was watching UFC back then because I was in Toronto. Like I could have easily went to that event. <laughs> that would have been incredible to see in person. Oh my goodness! I wouldn't have done because I, I, I think I would have been the sort of person who would have hated John Jones in his prime back then. Yeah. So if I saw somebody who pushed him really, really close, I think I'd be one of those people who'd just be devastated at the result. Yeah, I'd be up in arms yelling about that decision. For me, with Dom, I think Dom Dom has a lot of power, but he's also quite limited. And I think if he doesn't get it done in the first two rounds, I can maybe see John starting to put on the clinic when it gets later on. Because I think John does respect Dominic Rias. I don't think he likes how how cocky he's been in the build. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and rewatch um, their press conference. I don't think I've actually seen that press conference. I think I might have missed it. So I'd have to go back and rewatch that. But I, I believe John pushed them in the stare down in that. There was a little uh, bit of like bump in the barge, but nothing too, nothing too vicious. Yeah. <laughs> it's all for sure. What do you think sure. about that uh, Uzdemir fight? Do you think Reyes won that? I scored it for Volkan. Um... And it's always been that big question mark about Dominic mm-hmm. Reyes. There's a lot of people who I don't think give him a chance because of how he performed against Volkan, but my argument to that is Volkan is a very underrated fighter. 
He became mm. a bit of a he became a bit of a meme because of all the quick early knockouts, and yeah, his performance against DC wasn't great, but I look at what he did against Rakic, very impressive performance, and especially what he did against Latifi. Definitely. The Latifi performance was fantastic. Yeah, I think that might have been his uh, best performance, other than the um, uh, Jimmy Manuel fight, obviously, 42-second knockout. But Uzdemir, man, he just put a clinic on Latifi and put him away. And, I mean, if we... If we... If he gets another, say, two or, two or three wins, Volkan's right back in the title picture. Because I think... Mm-hmm. I think um, Blahovic and Corey Anderson are going to be fighting for the next shot. That's the main event of the New Mexico card. And then you could be you could be looking at you could be looking at Volkan possibly getting the next shot. I mean, if Glover beats Anthony Smith, Glover's right back in the picture. Glover would have won four in a row. Yeah, yeah. 40-year-old Glover Toshiba fighting for a title. I mean, it could happen. That's what light heavyweight's like right now. Yeah, you just get one breakout performance, a couple wins in a row, pretty much get a title shot in light heavyweight now. We need our next unknown middleweight to move up and suddenly go on a tear. Like yeah. someone like someone like Darren Stewart, someone like that, needs to move up. What do you think uh, Johnny Walker is going to be like now, now that he's training at TriStar? I think he's going to be a lot calmer. I think mm-hmm. that... But then again, if he is calmer, do we get the same Johnny Walker that was causing light heavyweight so many problems? Because part of the reason why Walker was getting those early knockouts was because people didn't know what he was going to do. I mean, you can't read the guy because he throws so many different looks at you. I think... Yeah, he reminds me of that uh, Michelle Fiona <laughs> guy. If the... Uh... If he toned down all his spins and everything and didn't gas himself out. <laughs> I mean, I was off that hype train very early on. I think, yeah, <laughs> he's doing all this silly spinning stuff, but the guy's lost 10 fights for a reason. Yeah. Which is he has zero cardio. I think they booked uh, Tristan Connolly for his fight, the guy who beat him. I don't know who it's against, but uh, he's going to be back in action soon. He's Canadian as well. He is. <laughs> You've got some sleepers down there, mind you. Well, up there, I should yeah, say. Yeah, I, I need to research my own fighters more. I can't believe I didn't bring up Julia Budd when you asked me last week. I feel embarrassed about that. <laughs> on, a, on a similar subject, I was doing some research. Someone posted a tweet about this. They said that British fighters are unbeaten in the past 10 fights. Really? Yeah, because... Um, Obviously, um, we had Arnold Allen and Brett Johns who were on the Raleigh card. They both got mm-hmm. wins. And obviously, like, Darren Stewart got a win as well. Darren Till up against Kelvin Gastelum. But the Brits won a little bit of role. I mean, pretty good for a, a country which has no wrestling. <laughs> yeah. They're doing pretty good now. We are. And, hey, if things, if things turn out as planned, we could be getting another Britain fight for the title. Joanne Calderwood because she's right right in the mix of flyweight. Well, yeah, Calderwood, she's really improved her game. I remember before she was really on and off. Like she would win one, she would lose one, but I feel like she's gotten her groove now. Well, Jojo never liked the cut to strawweight. That was yeah. the big issue that Jojo had was that she was fighting at a, a weight class which was too small for her. 
now that she's fighting the flyweight and also she's training with syndicate so her grappling is very on point now I don't see her offering anything to I mean if Shevchenko was to beat Chukasian I don't see her offering anything to Chev but if Chukasian was to get the win considering how controversial the first fight was Jojo versus Chukasian too Jojo has a chance in that fight yeah, I could definitely see that fight being made. Because I, I scored the first fight for Jojo. I was I was actually quite ticked off when they gave it to Chukasian because she's a frustrating one for me, Caitlin. I mean, in, in some ways, I mean, she's got an effective style. I mean, she's, what, 12-2, and two, and her only losses were split decisions, which could have easily went her way. But it's such an evasive style. It's a very frustrating one to watch. And I can imagine it being frustrating for her opponents as well. Someone compared it to... She said she's like... She's got the worst traits of Holly Holm and Elias Fyodoru. <laughs> Elias. Greatest Canadian fighter. But I mean like Elias... Similar situation. I mean Elias wasn't getting beat all that much. But he was topping out sort of like the lower reaches of the top ten. The issue with yeah, flyweight. Yeah, Elias could have been like um, he could have been a top ten guy for quite a while. Like he never really got, like he's never been knocked out. And the Brunson fight, it was a boring fight. He got booed in his hometown, but you know he never got finished. He never really got knocked down in that fight. I feel like he could still be in the UFC, but I feel like the perfect place for Elias Theodoro is PFL. I feel like if he went to PFL, <clears throat> excuse me. That'd be perfect. I feel like he could win that. Because he's so hard to hit. Mm-hmm. He's so hard to hit, and he's got a style which the judges like, because he's always looking busy. He's always... He might not hit you with much, but he's always making contact. Yeah, we'll have to see what what happens with Elias. I think he's fighting in some Canadian regional scene now. Prospect Fighting League, I think. So, we'll have to see. I'm surprised he didn't get picked up by Bellator. He is the Invicta ring boy, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> credit, credit where it's due, he, he's willing to laugh at himself. Yeah, and he's getting paid for that. Exactly. Anything else to uh, round us off before we start wrapping up this show, then? No, I think that's it, other than really going into the next pay-per-view, but... You can do that during your previous show. I don't want to cut into your previous show. I thank you very much for being so thoughtful. What I will ask you, though, we always like to do a little bit of a prediction before we close things out. Haven't got an MMA card this weekend. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who's even playing in the Super Bowl? I don't even know. It's uh, San Francisco and Kansas City. I know nothing about football. I'm going to say... Let's put some money on Kansas City. Why not? <laughs> I can't even remember the last time I watched NFL. I usually I usually root for the underdogs, so I will be saying Kansas for this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a I'm a Dolphins man, so I don't really have any sort of bias towards either of them. I think uh, back in the day, I used to be a. A Denver fan, I really liked uh, their team. I used to go and see a couple of their games, but ever since I've been watching MMA, I sort of fell out of love with NFL. I'll be uh, staying up for that one. I have booked the uh, day off work, so 
Going to be staying up for that one, trying to understand what on earth the rules are and why on earth J-Law is doing the halftime show. Mm. Yeah. But that is all the time that we have for uh, today's show on INC Radio. I want to say a big thank you to Claire for joining us. And it has been a bit tricky trying to get us linked together, but we managed to get there a few days late, but better late than never. Definitely. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah. Definitely come back anytime. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. We will probably be back uh, for our post-mortem on UFC 247. Will we be seeing a new light heavyweight champion, a new women's flyweight champion? Will it be status quo? What on earth is Derek Lewis going to say in his press conferences? That's all for us to discuss. We hope to hear from you there. Bye-bye for now.